This season is sponsored by The Empowered Musician. The Empowered Musician, founded by Dr. Dana Lynn Varga, helps musicians to forge their own path with pride. Dana is a fierce advocate for singers and a leader in moving the classical vocal industry forward. Through the EM website, you can read Dana's articles, schedule one-on-one -on -one career coachings, book Dana for a speaking engagement, or sign up for her upcoming affordable six-class series called Everything You Need to Know About Entrepreneurship for Singers, which starts on April 10th. The Empowered Musician also has incredible artists on staff, offering voice lessons, musicianship lessons, and both dramatic coachings and repertoire diversification sessions for singers. Voice lessons are available for a wide range of ages, levels, and genres, and their highly sought-after teachers are accessible from anywhere in the world through virtual lessons as well as eventually in-person in multiple cities. Keep an eye out for additional professional development courses such as acting for singers, body mapping for musicians, intro to jazz singing, and more. Be sure to check out www.theempoweredmusician.com. Welcome to my so-called Opera Light, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers, where we work to connect, inform, empower, and inspire musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Each episode, we'll explore a piece of the never-ending puzzle of the so-called opera life, humble brags and therapeutic complaints, as well as practical information about how this business works. Each piece helping you on your journey towards success, which we believe should really mean happiness. happiness. I'm Marcel. And I'm Elise. And we're two sopranos trying to live our best so-called opera lives. Today on the podcast, we have, I'm going to fangirl real hard, an amazing bass baritone, Zachary James, yes. uh, who uh, I saw him, he came across my radar first when I saw the Mets production of Akhenaten in, I don't know, 2019, whenever that was, or 2020, right before the pandemic, and started following him then, and just a incredibly versatile singer who has done everything from Broadway to TV and film credits to <laughs> premiering roles for Philip Glass's operas and just like a really beautiful soul. Our yeah. conversation with him was like so honest and lovely. Definitely. So funny because actually I think we kind of at a certain point we just both knew who he was but we never really like neither of us like introduced you know, the other to Zach, like we just kind of started to get to know him. I actually, he came on my radar because I was reading the Shmopra Me Too kind of series of posts that she released, which were incredible, incredibly, honestly sad, but also important. And I was just like, could not tear my eyes away. And he was one of the people that spoke out, was brave enough to tell his story. And it was appalling. And I was like, wow, this guy is like, I need to know who he is. Like, right. and for our listeners, as a content warning, there is some kind of oblique discussion and some pointed discussion of, you know, sexual abuse in the opera industry. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a mention of non-consensual sexual activity, assault. So content warning ahead for that. Yes. Yes. And we just thank him so much for being able to come on this podcast and just be honest and be himself. I definitely think he kind of showed us how, how do you do it all? Well, he does it all because it's all who he is, you know, and mm -hmm. he's really, it's really admirable to see how he takes on projects that he really wants. And, and he also talked about, you know, taking on projects that he doesn't really like and what that looks like and how he, he navigates all of it. Yeah, his career is so multifaceted and, you know, he's such a free spirit and just so honest about he wants to be the change he wants to see and yeah. the ways in which he's showing up and using his standing in the industry to try and be a catalyst for some of that change was, is just so remarkable. This was a really, really powerful conversation. And I'm so, so grateful that he was able to make time to come and talk with us. Yes, yes. We hope you enjoy this amazing interview with Zachary James. 
Well, again, I'm so thrilled that you're here. I'm I'm being really quiet because I'm like fangirling really hard over here. <laughs> I'm trying to be chill. So uh, don't be chill. <laughs> yeah, yes. So thank you so much for coming on. And this is Zach for all of our listeners. And we should definitely start with like a little bit about who you are. And I would love to hear there's so much I don't know, just like a little bit of your background and how you where you are now and stuff. Yeah, sure. I'm an opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this solo show or, you know, whenever I stand up in front of patrons and like have to sing and talk, whenever I say I'm an opera singer, everybody laughs and I don't know why, but it's it's like introducing yourself at a 12 step meeting every time. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. And I'm an opera singer. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it is what I am. But, you know, I, I'm a actor, singer, whatever you want me to be today. Mm -hmm. type of artist you know i started in musical theater and did film and tv and then got into opera and i had some early tastes of opera in a couple of young artist programs and i went to a master's program for a year and quit and stuff so i've kind of been like back and forth between many worlds my whole life and waiting for it to settle into one thing because everyone said oh, you have to decide what you're actually going to do and focus on. But then it never did. And I just realized like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to do everything. And that's cool. Yeah. So, so that's, that's great. What I do. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So yeah. you started out not in opera. So how did you make your way to this world? Yeah. So I was getting a musical theater degree. And prior to that, I, I went to Florida State University to be a band director. I was a music ed percussion major wow. and a piano minor. Oh my God. And, yeah. And so my first opera experience was at Florida State. They needed boys desperately for the chorus of Capuletti e Montecchi. And there were signs everywhere like, if you are a man and you can phonate, you will be in this chorus. So <laughs> I, I showed up and, you know, suddenly was doing my first opera singing in a foreign language for the first time. And I like never learned the words. I was just like, la la la. And, um, <laughs> But, you know, they put me like up front and I got to stand next to people singing arias and like act at them, even though I didn't know what they're saying. It was just fun and cool. Yeah. So then I was like, oh, I'm going to get a musical theater degree. I don't want to be a band director. That was too practical. Yeah. And I missed acting. So the night before my snare jury, uh, my first semester at Florida State, which I was about to fail my snare jury, just to be totally clear. Like I was a great marimba and timpani player and I could not play the snare drum. <laughs> it's, that that's a special subset of percussion for oh, sure. Yeah, and they were like, you're great. You can't major in this if you can't play the snare drum. And I was like, eek, but you know, listen to my roles on marimba. You know, they didn't care. So anyway, I, I knew I was about to bomb it. And there were these auditions for a community theater production of Into the Woods. And I went to that and I got the role of Rapunzel's Prince. And I was like, yeah, I'm switching my major to theater tomorrow because this band director shit is not for me. Yeah. And but the thing was, like, I was a huge marching band kid in high school and I loved it so much. But it was the pageantry and the theatricality of it and the showmanship and all the It was like the biggest stage you could imagine. It was a football field, you know, mm -hmm. and I was drum major. And I like threw glitter when I was conducting. I was having the best time ever. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I thought I wanted to be a band director, but I didn't. So yeah. anyway. Interesting. Yeah. I switched my major to theater and then, you know, did that weird Bellini opera and, you know, was just kind of like, okay, I think I'm going to be a musical theater. I transferred to Ithaca College for a musical theater degree. And while I was there, I quickly discovered that I hated musical theater. Mm. And because I was doing, I got cast in a summer stock season and I, we had to do cool shows, but we also had to do not cool shows. And it was like during Footloose and Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat that I was like, this is garbage and I hate it. And, you know, I don't want to do this at all. So I went back to school and my voice teacher was like, yeah, you've had, you know, three majors and been to two schools and you're 22. Like, why don't you just get this degree and graduate? Because I was like, I've decided I'm quitting school and I'm moving to New York. And she was like, what are you going to do there? And I was like, I don't know. And in my head, I was going to be a go-go boy, but I wasn't going to share that with anyone. <laughs> but <laughs> I was like, I'll meet a rich man and he'll take care of me and I'll dance naked for money. That's all opera say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, bless her for being in my life. And uh, she's my voice teacher to this day, by the way. Like, wow. Awesome. Yeah, we're going on uh, 
19 years. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, but when she was like, just stay put, don't quit school. She walked me down the hall to the opera director and coach and was like, will you coach Zach and let's like give him some of the fundament fundamentals of singing. He's musical, mm -hmm. but he's not enjoying musical theater, but he likes more sophisticated literature, musical theater, but he doesn't like pop, you know, and they kind of just took me under my wing and they were like, this is our friend Mozart. Here's an aria. And, <laughs> and I just started singing stuff like that on the yeah. side. And it was fun because it felt incredibly rebellious to the musical theater program. And I started being like bringing Gilbert and Sullivan into musical theater workshop and everybody else was bringing Jason Robert Brown and people would like lose their minds. They were like, what is this? What is I've never heard of it. You know, right, and right. Like, this and is like, the great so Patter cool. song. Yeah, that like so, never really happens. Like no, that. it was so weird. And everybody was like, what's wrong with you? So so that was like my taste of opera. And but it made me realize like, oh, no, I do love singing. I do love performing. I just like because I grew up as a piano kid. So I was playing like Bach and Beethoven and Chopin from, mm -hmm. you know, a young age. And I was used to being around classical music and the pop vocabulary and the increasing pop vocabulary of musical theater was kind of like getting me down, yeah. which is funny because I like adore pop music, but there was something about where it was heading in that moment that felt so incredibly generic. Yeah. And there's a lot of shitty musical theater too. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah. you don't, a musical doesn't have to be good to be commercially successful. Mm -hmm. you know right whereas right. like with operas like new operas are born and never heard from again if they suck yeah but right. if they're great they last but like Definitely. shitty musicals for some reason can last forever <laughs> and <laughs> like yeah. it's weird so that's funny anyway. and i have to find out where are you from in florida i i grew up in tampa no yeah tampa proper yeah i went to uf oh wow yeah. i say i'm from tampa but i'm from spring hill Okay, cool. Do you know where that is? Yeah, 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 I do. <laughs> Not <so> cool. Funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Meanwhile, That's my funny. parents just moved to Tampa. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Nobody's from, yeah, everybody's know, from like Miami that... only. But yeah, yeah, it's a crazy place for it. Yeah, that old Gulf Coast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm from like hour north of Tampa in the woods. And That's crazy. Yeah, yeah, my so family's funny. all still in Florida, so. And are you still a FSU fan? Have, were you ever really an FSU fan? I never was. I didn't yeah. care at all. Yeah, yeah. I went to, because I did marching band there for my whole first year, and I went to all the football games, and I just, like, could not care less. And Yeah. You know. I, I we were winning when I was there. Mm. So that was fun. Like, we yeah. everyone was very happy, and I was just like, sure. yeah, I'm happy too. Like, sure, sure. <laughs> we started losing, and I was like, are we, can we leave, or should we go? So there's a, like, yeah. there's a term for fans like you amongst diehard fans, and they're called <laughs> fair weather fans. Yes. <laughs> yes. I'm in that camp too, so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We had to stay till the very end of the game, and we had to stay in the stadium until every fan left, and then we played oh. a song to an empty stadium. It was this great tradition. Oh. Oh. That also added two hours to your day. Wow. No, yeah. Being, <laughs> I don't know how you did, you did like band, honestly. I, I did band wild, for yeah. like one second and I was like, I'm going to be a singer. I yeah. <laughs> Co college band sucked, I'll be honest, but it was just a different trip. And we did a different show every week and there was 500 on the field. Whereas, you know, my high school band, we had 75 on the field and we, like perfected one show over the course of four months and traveled it mm -hmm. around and did competitions and stuff and i loved that but yeah the rest of it kind of so many things to talk about i would also it makes a lot of sense your story like because you do so much now and you you're in broadway you're, you're talking about you're doing some film and tv auditioning yeah what's what's kind of been your experience recently with connecting these things all together yeah, well, I mean, it's been an interesting year because of the pandemic. So, yeah. you know, time became our own. And suddenly, like, I didn't have to learn that shitty opera I didn't want to do to begin with, but was doing for a paycheck, you know, so yeah, yeah. that was kind of cool in a way, because I was honestly feeling a bit disenchanted with singing and really? not. Yeah, because I don't know. I was on the road the past few years before the pandemic. I was on the road like 10 months a year and mm. it was, you know, half the shows, I would say that's a fair assessment. Like half the shows, awesome, great directors, great cast, great team. But then a lot of times you're like doing a show that maybe could be cool, but the role doesn't quite fit. But if you had like a director who 
let you have instincts as an actor it may be fun but mm -hmm. it's not like everything's working against you yeah. like the conductor's tempi don't fit you and the director's direction doesn't fit you and it's that bums me out and that that's been like a very specific thing in opera where that i haven't encountered in theater where it's like sometimes your instincts just aren't allowed in the room and mm -hmm. that's like i don't like being somebody's puppet on stage right because it begs the question of like didn't you hire me for my artistry yeah like why am i here you know also it's the digital age so like if you want to hear the best artist that's ever sung this particular role like you could probably stay home and watch sam raimi or james morris do it from a video from the 80s <laughs> you know, yeah. so right like, right, why, right why are we doing this and, right right yeah. are we are we doing something spontaneous with this as yeah. a live performance or are we just trying to recreate a recording yeah yeah and and recreating is a weird yeah it gets weird fast mm-hmm yeah, so, I don't know. And like my voice doesn't work when my body isn't allowed to do what it wants to do. Like if my mm -hmm. body wants to gesture, it's like a lot of times really connected to my voice. And when I'm given like stand and sing and please don't move or gesture or anything, like wow. I, I lock up and shut down. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and mm -hmm. that doesn't happen a lot. But I would say, like, when my agents started pushing me to be like, okay, you have to do more traditional repertoire and you have to start doing Verdi and Wagner and Mozart because, you know, you need to be well-rounded, stop just doing contemporary. That also came with this baggage of you have to do these contemporary, you know, traditional productions where you're not allowed to act. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, it's a weird thing. Like, primarily, I'm in the new music scene myself and the freedom that that has brought to the traditional repertoire for me when I'm singing it myself is just like incredible Hell yeah. but same thing and then like you get into a rehearsal room and they're like oh well you must sing it <laughs> this way or gesture it this way and it's just like yeah yeah that's like we're why are we a preservationist art form that's why opera is dying because totally. we're like it's totally. not meant to be this way <laughs> absolutely it, it's interesting too because it plays into like what we're asked to wear for concerts sometimes like these contracts where it's like you must wear a black tuxedo it's like I don't even own a black tuxedo and like, if my colleagues are allowed to wear a sequin gown, like I want to be able to wear what I want to like, yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, oh like, gosh. let me, let me say something with my fashion as well, you know, right. or reverse that as a genderqueer person, like I'm a soprano, but I don't always want to wear a dress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The, the 12 PM concert with the, with the black tie gown always gets me. I'm always like, no. What are we doing here? No, I'm, not, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. So you've taken you've taken a lot of like different projects in the pandemic. Yeah, a lot of self-produced stuff and then a lot of like saying yes to whatever rolled along. And then I guess the past few months I started saying no to things because it's like a little bit of burnout and also a little bit of being I, I want to remain kind of free and open for exactly the right fit type projects or just to have the freedoms keep doing my own thing mm -hmm. and I've kind of like separated finance and art making in my head which is dangerous mm. because now I'm like no thank you I don't need that job and then I'm like oh wait but I do need money whoops you know, <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> whoops it's, tough. it's a tough line it yeah really yeah is. yeah but you know but it kind of feels amazing <laughs> to be like no that's not a fit and then right. trust that you know something might happen Right. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. What's been your favorite project in the pandemic? Definitely my my visual album call out it was really like just the thing I'm proudest of that I've ever created because I had to learn so many new skills and also the foundation of what the project was. It was supposed to be a Carnegie Hall recital with a program of all works composed by women, which is really important, unfortunately, mm -hmm. to still talk about because like women are represented like under 5% in classical music programming. And yeah. the Met yeah. went from 1903 to 2016 without producing a work written by a woman. So it's like, mm -hmm. we had to keep talking about that one. And yep. so I was really excited to have this opportunity to program my own thing at Carnegie. And I was doing primarily world premieres, whatever. So when that was canceled, a lot of the works had already been written and Beyonce had just put out her like third visual album. And I was like, well, let's, make visual albums over here too in classical music like let's just make music videos i'm an 80s kid so i grew up with right like, the coolest shit on tv 
and like i was just like let's let's do something different and if if i get made fun of for it like great but maybe people will like it and yeah. people mostly liked it a couple of people made fun of it and i'm delighted so, yeah <laughs> yeah i mean to be to be completely transparent like your call out album inspired my project that i just did in january where we did like a whole bunch of art song and did film narratives yes. to them. And it was because like I watched your call it album and I was oh. like, these videos are beautiful. And I knew you from your Instagram feed that you were self-producing. And I'm like, we can figure this out. Yes, we can. <laughs> yes, we and it can. was like, it was the most like artistically fulfilling thing I've done in a really long time. Oh, I'm so happy. Yeah. We worked actually one of our pieces we did Juliana Hall, who I know wrote Ahab for she's you. So great. And she's like amazing. She's Just such amazing. A great yeah. Yeah. Really terrific. I had a wonderful time with her piece. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all about that, right? And just like saying new things. Yeah. And yeah. I'm curious what your agents like said when you mm, said that. That is a really interesting. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm no longer with my agent. <laughs> oh. So yeah. Yeah. No, but I mean, I'm not, I won't, I won't shit talk. But yeah, I mean, I just, I think a big part of the last year is like realizing who's aligned with my my artistic vision for myself yeah. you know mm -hmm. right so and i have like film and tv agents theater agents and whatever so it, it was interesting because i have like a bunch of people working in different areas on different things but yeah I, i'm not i'm currently not represented in opera interesting yeah. well, you've always been i mean i know it's it's there's some agents that will do some things together and just do all of it i guess but you've always had multiple different agents correct yeah yeah i i guess i got a film theater tv agent like as soon as i graduated from ithaca and i've had you know a few along the way but yeah yeah big part of this last year though for me i started working with la representation for film and tv and that's been really awesome just to like dip into a new market have to learn a bunch of new skills and right. also you know, I kind of have this agreement that like at any moment notice, I'll drop everything and go to LA if I need to. And that's kind of like keeps me going in my yeah. heart. <laughs> it's be exciting, um, right? Yeah. That's exciting. I'm a Sagittarius. So I like to like, if someone's like, hey, can you drop everything and jump on our plane? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please. Like yeah. I have a go bag in my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so, great. That's yeah. great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I mean, like my, one of our, you know, prep questions, and I think is, this is a good segue to that is like, because young singers are so often told like specialize, 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 don't generalize, no one will take you seriously. Yeah. I think one of the things we've learned in the pandemic is just like how that even for the singer singing at really high levels, even like singing full time in opera is just fi not financially viable. Mm. Mm. And so you can't really be a specialist yeah unless you're in like the top one percent yep and most of us aren't going to get there yep. and so like as someone who's you know just done everything and done it really well like what what would be your advice to young singers who are like getting started or even thus those of us mid-career who are like okay it's time to yeah. branch out a little like how do you balance all of that well thanks i mean i do think it's important to say like it's so kind you just say like I've done everything and done it really well but like I don't identify that way and I think mm. that's like step one <laughs> just be, like I like there have been so many times as a as a singer I feel like the shittiest singer in the room and mm. you know in opera because I didn't get that conservatory training and like I still like really have never had formal diction training right so I've encountered just a lot of times where I felt really inferior I can't sight read really well. I don't know solfege. So there are just times where I'm just like, I don't belong here. And everyone's mm. going to find out that I'm a fraud. And then like in Broadway, like I haven't been on Broadway since 2011. So now I'm obsolete there. These are just like my own head games, right? Yeah, yeah. Right, of like, right. Okay, well, I'm not in there anymore. I'm like retired, basically. And then in TV, I've done like three sitcoms as a small role. So it's like, well, I'm not really real there either, you know? <laughs> And then as a recording artist, I've only self-produced. So it's like, well, that's fake too. You know, so yeah, it's interesting how we like how we delegitimize our yeah. own success to ourselves. Right. I mean, because, well, I'm not conservatory trained, but because I don't have a music degree at all. So I Amazing. feel so much of what you're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For one reason or another, like, it's so funny to hear you say that because 
like we can do that to ourselves so much and you never think that the other person is thinking exactly that. like i would exactly. never think that about you like in a yeah. hundred years you know but i just have to think like beyonce goes through the same thing in her head you know mm -hmm. like i imagine when she was filming dream girls she's like jennifer hudson's a much better singer than me but I'm going to work really hard. You know, who knows? Yeah, like, yeah, right. I just think it's like the burden of being an artist, right? Is that like the self-doubt and the, but in a way it's like you need some of that because it keeps you humble mm -hmm. and, it, and it keeps you wanting to challenge yourself. So I just wanted to put that out there that like, I appreciate those words and also, you know, how I really feel sometimes yeah. doesn't yeah. match that. Right, right. But I would say, and this is a big part of my voice training with my teacher and why I've stayed with her forever is diversity and flexibility are like the cornerstones of our, our training together. And I think it's so important. And you look at voices like, like a Kelly O'Hara, Audra McDonald, or Kristen Chenoweth, Isabel Leonard, like people that really sing many styles and do it very well. And also, you know, my voice teacher, I kind of grew up with her telling me about her voice teacher who had a long fest contract and she was doing stuff out of Fock every night. And it really kept her flexible and healthy. And I think that's kind of what it's all about. And I don't think putting ourselves in boxes is necessarily good for art. And, you know, the other piece of this is that because I do come from musical theater and there isn't really like the voice breakdowns that we see for opera, like it doesn't really exist as much over there. So like when I was living in New York and auditioning for musical theater full time, I would go in for rock tenor stuff because they'd be like, we need somebody over six foot four to sing this song. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, this is a rock song and it's a tenor. Oh, but they want to see me. I guess I'll figure out how to sing this tonight, you know? Mm -hmm. And then you just do it because really right. they only care like, what do you look like? What do you like on stage? Can you get through this song? Yeah. Can you get through it? Not fight it out. <laughs> and if you can't get through it, you could speak it on pitch. And they're like, wow, that was great. <laughs> you know? Yes. John Legend, he couldn't sing. He could hardly get through Jesus Christ Superstar. Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing though. And, it's, and so I it's still just loved like, him. I still absolutely. Him. Absolutely. <laughs> So right. kind of applying those principles to the classical world has been kind of cool. And sometimes people have things to say about it. And sometimes I hear other people kind of talking trash about people and being like, oh, well, she's doing this role and she's not really a mezzo soprano. You know, she's yeah. a We talk about all that... We are so bad at the critics. Yeah, but it's like, who cares? Like, leave everybody alone. Let everybody sing what they want to sing and like right. stay in your lane and do what you want to do. You if know? she yeah. sings it and it's compelling and it's a great Rosina, yeah. like who cares? Who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, I, I will say also though, like my my experience of doing Akhenaten has been really major because that particular show seemed to so I'm on stage for like all three hours of it. I don't sing a note, but I act like and move and do this controlled dance style stuff and the singing or the the speaking is like Wagnerian in scope it's like filling a 5,000 seat house with your voice and and from your pelvic floor and like engaging in a way just like singing so mm -hmm. that was a particular show where it kind of felt like all my schools and like assets were doing this and coming together and being like here is you know the perfect fit for you. Yeah. Yeah. You weird person. <laughs> well, I mean, when you talked to, when you talked earlier about your drum major experience and the glitter and the pageantry, I was like, no wonder you were in Akhenaten. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's like, I've definitely watched it multiple times. <laughs> uh, uh, it's way fun. It's yeah. so hard though. It's like, it's so hard. Anything I've ever sung ever. And I, I mean, Philip, Philip Glass is a particular composer for me that I love. Like, I just remember yeah. hearing his, remember hearing, in my first like intro to music class in college at 18. And my whole life prior to that as a singer had been like Gregorian chant and Renaissance polyphony. Mm, that mm, was it. Mm. And then hearing Einstein on the beach and it mm. felt like pieces came together in my soul. Yeah. And I was like, this music is what I want to do. <laughs> totally. Yeah. When I heard there's a piece of his called flow. And when I heard that for the first time, I, th I felt like I was like sitting on a cloud next to whatever God is. 
Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, wow, this makes me understand existence. Better. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that was it. And and I ended up working with him just a few months later. We did The Perfect American together. That was my yeah. first piece with him. And yeah, it was, I mean, it was magic. And that's been really, I think, Philip is very responsible for me being an opera now because he gave me that first big start in Perfect American. And then, yeah. you know, Akhenaten, even though I don't sing, it's still like, I started a show at the Met, so we're good. And like, yeah, big on. <laughs> I'm <laughs> good cares. now. Yeah, <laughs> but you know how it is. Like regionally, people don't care what you did or what you did in it. Like as long as you were at the Met, it's like Metropolitan Opera star. You know, whatever. I know. I, and you're like, I was the third cover of yeah. a minor character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, and I've I've been turned down for jobs. I had an artistic director. I was auditioning for Olin Blitch and Susanna, which I ended up doing someplace else. But I wanted it so bad, and the artistic director was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. We hired so and so. He works at the Met." And that was the answer. And I knew that person. I knew he had never been on stage at the Met, but he covers at the Met. And I was like, "That's the answer." Yeah. Like, tell me I'm a bad actor. Tell me I'm a bad singer. Tell me you hate looking at me but yeah. don't tell me like for know. that you're a mismatch yeah. for the voices yeah, the like, other voices anything. you hired like come up with something like <laughs> yeah yeah what i don't know we are glad to have the sparkle twins back as sponsors for season three sharice and sharicia williams are identical twin sopranos from brooklyn new york Their business offers mouth masks to protect you from unwanted germs and conversations with cute phrases like, yes, I am an opera singer. And no, I will not sing for you. Check out their shop at www.sopranotwins.com slash shop. I wanted to ask you like, so you've worked at numbers of different like levels of houses and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do so many different things. And we've been talking about how you, you know, you want to be able to express yourself. I'm wondering like what kind of experiences, well, I want to do positive, but I also want to do negative a little yes, bit. <laughs> absolutely. I'm an open book. We don't have to name names for the negative, but what? Sure, po- sure. let's start with the positive. What sure. positive shows and experiences and houses have, have just like really encouraged yeah. and have been so great to work with? You know, I want to give a huge shout out and I've never given voice this as, as much as I should have, but to Opera Roanoke. Hmm. Opera Roanoke gave me a lot of experiences. They had me for four shows kind of all in a row. So I saved their ass basically on really short term notice for a production of Abduction. I got a call like, hey, do you want to sing Ozmin in Abduction? And I was like, absolutely. And they were like, great, you have to fly tomorrow and the show's next Friday. And I was like, well, I don't know the show. You know? So, <laughs> well, so that's I went, a lot to learn. Yeah, I went, I did it. It was great and wild, but they were really appreciative and they brought me back right away for Channel Rental. I did my first Rossini, my first and last Rossini. And I did uh, Sweeney Todd there. I did Susanna there, but they really invested in me and gave me a lot of my first experiences. Like my first time seeing Reset ever was with Opera Roanoke. Wow. Wow. I think my first major Mozart. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, and they're a great company and they treat you really well. I think that level of opera company in this country, I've had a lot of wonderful experiences. Like I had a great time doing Pirates in Shreveport. Mm-hmm. Did Dean direct you? No, no. Oh. Yeah. It was actually uh, Bill Fabri, who's no longer with us now, sadly. Uh, but mm. yeah, he's a big like Pirates. Mm-hmm. Gilbert and Sullivan expert. Yeah. But Union Avenue Opera in St. Louis, I've done a couple shows there. It's, you know, a church that they turn into an opera company over the summer. Wonderful time. Des Moines is a much bigger company than the ones I just mentioned, but Des Moines Metro Opera has been so good to me and gave me my kind of my big start as a regional opera singer in this country with Billy Bud playing Claggart. And that mm. changed my career because everybody comes through there and they see the shows and they get reviewed. And that show changed my career. And I had no expectations of that, of going to Iowa for the first time and doing like an opera in the middle of cornfields that that would do anything for me. Right, right. I thought it was just a paycheck and it changed my career overnight. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I think the regional opera scene in the United States is really thriving and quite beautiful. And yeah, I've absolutely had negative experiences as well. (laughs) Well, I was just wondering, you know, it's especially as you're kind of, well, I don't know, maybe, maybe not just as a younger singer, but you know, you, you, you want to be expressive, you know, you want to enjoy yeah. 
time. You want to also like do the side projects and the things that you're doing. Totally, and, totally. And I'm just wondering about your experience with even, I mean, Marcel and I get this and we hear this all the time, like just even advice of being like, don't do that, you know, and like. Yeah, you should it, probably definitely do it if somebody tells you not to. <laughs> There we I go. Definitely do Good it. advice. I <laughs> yeah. like that advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But is it has it been a little bit of a challenge at times to kind of figure out like what what is the best advice for you? I'm sure having that having your voice teacher for as long as you've had had her as a support has been helpful. Oh yeah, cuz every time I try and start to like sing like I think someone wants me to sing and add this like darkness and whatever to my voice to be like, "Oh, I'm going to sound like a you know, bass baritone. Now she's like, "That's cute. Let's <laughs> let's start again." <laughs> like, <laughs> don't and, do that. <laughs> yeah, she's like, uh, "Remember how you don't have to sound like everyone else, and it's okay to sound like you." And 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 when I do that, it sounds weird sometimes, but people respond nicely to it because it's different. And mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's like, where did it stop being okay to sound like you and have a unique voice that people recognize as yours when you open your mouth right and i've always struggled because i have a weird voice that like i can sing low i can sing high I, it's a long range everyone has always been like are you a bass are you a bass baritone are you a baritone are you a held in tenor oh god and it's like <laughs> i actually don't give a fuck and you're really bumming me out that you do <laughs> right <laughs> like you're right. actually ruining my day shut the fuck up <laughs> Like, why are you trying to put me in a box? Yeah, like I'm allowed to sing falsetto and sing high if I want to, and I'm allowed to sing low, and we don't have to compare it to everybody else it's on the planet. It's a huge conversation for young singers. I yeah. mean, it's still a conversation that like people want to have all the time with young singers, and yeah. in a way, I just feel like it's it's something to talk about. Like you're at this it coaching, is. and like yeah, just, it like, is. Well, everyone wants to give their opinion and and I think coaches especially want their opinion to be valued and respected and they want those singers to return and invest in in the long-term journey of believing in the coach's opinion. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. It's I wonder how much I wonder how much of this is is actually like driven by the fact that we have recording technology. Yeah, for sure. You yeah. know, like when you think about like Callis and the singers of her generation, like what made them great was that when they opened their mouth, yeah, you knew it was them. Totally. You know, and I feel like we almost like train, we train the individuality out of people's voices. Like forever, yeah. I've you know, I've had past teachers be like, "Oh, you have a really, you know, dark, low voice for a soprano." you know, we really ought to brighten and lighten that up. And it's just like, no, that's just my voice. Like, yeah. why would, Thanks. why are we fucking with that? Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you imagine if they did that with visual artists? Like we would have museums full of all the same landscape. I know. Come on. Yeah. Like, right. yeah. I want like Pollock's and Picasso's and yeah. Frida Kahlo yeah. all at the same time. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 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 But, but, you know, it's like a human nature to try and look at something and understand it and label it. Right. Like, and I think that's what coaches yeah. and managers and artistic directors and everything. You're like, oh, well, you're this type of person. And now I have put you on this list and I understand what you can or can't do. Right. You know? Right. And I know how to like offer you to offer companies. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, hands down, my best work ever and the best opportunities are always the ones that I haven't auditioned for and someone's like hey do you think you could do this and I'm like yeah I could do that and I can't but I figure it out mm -hmm. by the time I show up and right and there's no like well let's hear you do it 20 different times and also submit a recording and we're going to compare it to these other 20 people and whatever whatever but right, yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I don't know yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you know what my worst experience was though What's that? covering at the Met Oh, yeah. <laughs> Why was that? So I was doing Akhenaten. It was going great. They when you're like starring in a show, they treat you like you're like made of gold and everyone's really nice. And they're like, like, I literally had somebody I was like, hey, could my voice teacher like come and sit at the Zitz probe? And the answer was like, literally, quote, you're starring in a show at the Met. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> what a wonderful day, you know. What, what a great time to be alive. So <laughs> fast forward a week, like they lost their cover for the doctor in Wozzeck because of a visa issue. 
And I am apparently, I think, the only, um, at the time, the only person in the United States that knew the role of the doctor because they had just done it in Des Moines and nobody does about tech. Mm-hmm. So I um, had an audition for them the next day, even though I was already working there. They had heard me sing many times. Uh, I had auditioned for them seven times previously. They were like, come in tomorrow after your final room run of Akhenaten and sing the entire role of the doctor for us. Yeah. So can you imagine? Like everything's working against you, but I That's did That's crazy. Yeah, it's really that fucked up. And like I hadn't sung the role in five months, but I showed up. I slayed that thing and I sang the whole thing from memory. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like gave them full acting beats and everything. So I get a call two hours later that I got the job. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. My second show at the Met this season. I now have a singing credit. I'm understudying Christian Van Horn, who's a legend. Like, this is great. Mm-hmm. So I show up to the first day of rehearsal for the covers. And like, it's a lot of the same staff from Akhenaten. And they treated me like garbage. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I sang through and I was stopped on every measure and just like, no, no, start again. No, that vowel is terrible. No, you know? And I was like, wait, like, who are you? Like, we've been working together for three months. A, B, I'm saving your ass by jumping in and doing this you're welcome see it's my first time covering ever and like i'm not i won't do it again i will say that for sure but it's just not for me but also it was just like going from being treated really well to being treated like a piece of garbage overnight was really weird it was really really weird in the same building by the same people right and, messes with your head yeah and like covers are treated just across the board like trash you're not invited to like the opening night party and it's like they're not paying for anyone to be at the party they just have the lobby open and have glasses of champagne like it's not a big deal like you can yeah. you can invite everyone you yeah. know but they they kind of go out of your way to treat you like shit wow so i was supposed to be covering and singing singing a very small role and covering a slightly bigger but very small role in billy bud there um like in a month from now and it was canceled and i'm really glad because i don't want to cover there and i think had i not had this year to sit at home i would be like okay i'll just keep covering at the met but like i don't want to cover and i don't want to cover at the met like ever again and if it means i never work there again i'm totally cool with it it was Mm. an atrocious experience that's terrible Mm. yeah and also like not to mention the way that they've treated artists this past year i'm i'm so disgusted by the way they've treated artists and you know, people finding out on Twitter that they just lost like $150,000 in income. Like you can't send an email yeah, and be right. like, hey, we're announcing on Twitter in two hours that you're losing your yeah. ability to pay for your children's school and your mortgage. Not me. I don't like. understand like the whole, I don't <sighs> understand the whole situation because we hear about stuff like that. We know that that kind of stuff is going on. And then I see artists like, the highest level of artists that are just like they're just met regulars. I mean, they're yeah. met stars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they support the met like so so much. Like yeah. they love it. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't understand I really don't understand it because because they want their paycheck back when things open back up. Totally. And they they've been getting six figures a year from the Met for a long time. So it's the hand that feeds them. And yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's tough. It's tough. And the the lines of solidarity are really blurry right now. Because, um, of course, you have the orchestra and chorus who are just like, are you kidding the way they've been treated? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. yeah, but I do think I love the Met and I do hope to work there again, like under, you know, good circumstances and in a role that, you know, I'm supposed to return next year with Akhenaten. Who knows if it'll happen, but but. I am very disappointed and I think they've given their given up their reins as the standard bearer for the industry. Yeah. Um, no. cause I think everybody turned to them to be like, what's the Met doing? Okay. We'll follow suit. And now it's like, mm, well, they're actually not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> besides like paying, you know, $300 million to a sex offender who's now dead. And like, do they get that money back now? Like <laughs> it's uh, right. like, come on, man. Like right. can't pay insurance for your people that work here every day for years and years and years, but you're going to give 300 mil to. That was crazy. It's I disgusting. Just... Yeah. I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that was very actually... ranty, but I'm just no, no, I think no. it's important. It's garbage. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. an important conversation because I yeah. think like 
if we don't if we don't call it out it just keeps happening yeah call out yeah we, i mean i i can't believe how little this was actually talked about but when schmopper came out with the series of the yeah um, yeah two um articles yeah appalling and i i, I, yeah. I mean that's actually your article was like one of the reasons like you kind of came across my periphery i guess and i started yeah. kind of following you because it was just appalling like appalling to read yeah. those yeah uh, yeah it's crazy and to think of how many other things happen that we don't even know about you know exactly yeah if there are, if that's the stories we do here yeah think about the ones you know cuz it took don't. me it took me like 20 years to tell my story and yeah uh, yeah and and i waited until I mean, a you know, there was a call for stories, so I just like found myself typing it out for the first time. But also, I when I look back on it, I was like, oh, well, I was about to like be at the prime of like reaching all my goals as a as a opera singer, basically. So I was in a place where I could say whatever I wanted without fear of backlash, being blacklisted. And my particular predator was retired, mm -hmm. so I knew, you know. We didn't have to worry about like, oh, well, our companies, what will they do? Are they going to continue to work with him or are they not? Are, you know, he's retired. Right. Nobody cares. He's off social media. So, right. yeah, but it's nasty. I mean, I was also a year before that I was um, uh, Bernard Ruzan was my manager and I had no idea because I was like pretty new to opera. I had no idea right. that he, he also had a long history of being a sexual predator. And so when that came out in the Washington Post, I left his agency like two hours later. Um, I called my friend who's a lawyer and I was like, Hey, what do I need to say in an email to get, you know, out of this relationship? And she sent it to me and wow. I sent it off. That was just it for me. It's just a deal breaker for me. Like I don't, I don't play in that sandbox. Right. Anymore. Right. I had somebody who had a connection to him who was like, Oh, you should really sing for him. You know, just, just be careful. Like Ugh. I can get you an appointment to sing for him, but just know that like, he's got a problem. So like, if you, if you, I'm if good. he's willing to hear you, if he's willing to hear you, like take all these precautions and don't be alone with him and oh this, that, God. and the other thing. And I was like, well, then I won't be singing for him. Yeah, like, like I'm already, I've already been a sexual trauma survivor in my own life. I don't need to repeat that. Yeah, yeah, it's a no go. And and to passively enable it, I think by you know continuing to work with these people, it's. But even to like recommend singers and be like, you should sing for him because he can make doors open for you. Yeah. But yeah. there's this caveat. It's like, no, like don't send people to him. Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Have you seen Promising Young Woman yet? Not yet. The film, you must. It's so, so good. But, uh, you know, it talks about exactly all of this. And yeah, it's I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, there is a particular scene that because um, here's what it is. It's like if it's happened to you or you have a very personal connection to someone who it has happened to, you care. And then if it hasn't happened to you, you basically not everyone, but a lot of people just don't care or can't be bothered to get their hands dirty, you know, and it's mm -hmm. tough. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I heard by way of someone else of a singer who was like deeply upset by me sharing my story and was like, how could that be true? I love that director. He's my favorite director. And it's like, yeah, that has nothing to do with the fact that he's like also a rapist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sorry yeah. that you have to view him in a new light now, but. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think very strongly that like we have to talk like it is a part of who that person is and i mean we have to talk about these things and i think a lot of times people are just like well we're just gonna get rid of this person and then life is fine again and yeah. it's like think about all of the people who were silent who this yeah. occurred who knew who think about all of the things that are that are the ripple effect of that one person we don't just get rid of no kevin spacey and then life is fine again like right right <laughs> like, and it's hard right. it's hard when you like i love kevin spacey great actor i love right. his body of work but when that happened it was like yeah i think i'm gonna choose to believe the victim on this one and this is not someone i'm going to watch anymore and, and netflix sucks. sorry you can't just get rid of him and then be like yeah now yeah. we're great again like right. no right. you still have blood in your hands like right well because like there's this whole there's this whole you know cadre of people around him who knew of his behavior clearly and enabled it 
or yeah. heard whispers about it and enabled it. You know, and it's like clearly that is a group of people who who doesn't value consent. Yep. Or only insofar as it's convenient for them. Yeah. You know, and so like that create that just creates a work environment that's so unhealthy and it's just going to continue to perpetuate these yeah. people getting yeah. away with it. Totally. It's, it's just easy to it's just easy to single it out. I remember my friend went to a young artist program for the summer and the director was making like inappropriate comments and like she chose not to say anything. And mm. it's it's really I don't blame like I don't blame anyone for doing that. Like it's no, a really hard thing to to so hard. share your story. Like it's yeah. so hard. And, and it's embarrassing and humiliating too. It's it, like even though do... everyone right, even though yeah. It shouldn't be, you know? Yeah. yeah, but you're like, oh, well, if I didn't do this thing, maybe he wouldn't have said right. that. But you're like, no, <laughs> like, it, you know, it's tough. It's tough for everybody. But anyway, right. I interrupted. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no, no. I just think like, I, I, I just cannot wait. I remember even like, gosh, it seems like a lifetime ago when the whole Placido Domingo thing too. And it's yeah. just like, yeah, we need to just be able to say, I just can't wait. Like, I'm so glad and grateful for people that come out and share their stories because that's how we get change. Yep, it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And so many people wrote me and were, honestly were like, that happened to me too with that same person. Wow. Uh, I was dealing with a serial predator there. And other people wrote and said, you know, a similar thing happened to me with a different person. I'll never name that person, but what you did was really cool. And that meant a lot to me too. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I was just having a conversation with a friend, though, about the Biden administration and that I was like, you know, what bums me out, though. It's like I'm pretty happy with the direction of things. But, you know, what bums me out that he put Thomas Jefferson on the wall in the Oval Office, because if you're a young kid coming into that Oval Office and you're looking up and then you go home and you're like, oh, I want to like look up that person that was on the president's wall. And then you're like realizing he was, you know, basically raping a 13 year old slave <laughs> that was his wife's half sister because that person's mother was raped by his father-in-law it's like good god <laughs> like <laughs> put up martin luther king on the wall susan b anthony like stop <laughs> right stop. Yeah. Like, we have to stop because it and it's tough because yeah people are like okay well should we not uh program wagner anymore should we you know do we need to look at everybody ever? And it's like, I don't know the answer to that question, but right. I know for sure there are better choices we can be making when it comes to people. You yeah, know. I mean, making better choices and doing the work of educating our audiences yes. too. Yes. Like right. why do we're just like, oh, well, we know this dirty secret rule, but we're just not going to talk about it. It's like, no, like talk about it. That's just like, go ahead and program it and then talk about it. It's yeah. an important context for his work. Yeah. Like totally. also like as an That's audience member point. to sit there and go like, oh, I see all the anti-Semitism in the ring cycle now. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a powerful thing that's going to enable you then to see it outside the theater too. Yeah, totally. You know, Absolutely. like if we talk about the way that art can can serve as this catalyst to help to open hearts and minds to ideas that they would have been close to otherwise. Yeah. Like that's our job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is to like create opportunities for for audience members to empathize with a person they wouldn't ordinarily have done that for. That is the point. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I actually wrote Mark Skorka at Opera America and, and I have like, I'm in a privileged position cause I'm an Opera America ambassador. Right. So like I can, I can express my opinions cause that's what they've asked me to do basically. <laughs> but anyway, I wrote him and I was like, Hey, would you please take Domingo's name off of this studio that we all audition in? Because like as a victim of sexual assault myself and knowing many others in the industry that have like you don't want to walk in and and you're not going to do your best work if you're a sexual assault victim and you're passing under the name of a predator before you go sing for people and bear your soul you know mm -hmm. and yeah. responded very positively you know it's not as simple as that i guess they have to have meetings and say right. things together but of i appreciated course. his response but it's just like we just got to do better and well, at the risk of embarrassing you, no. I will say thank you for that. Because yeah. I think one of our, one of the things that we've talked about a lot is like the level of where we're working is like we can talk and talk all we want, but like our voices aren't going to mean much because we don't have the clout. And to to know that you are using your privilege to try and you know start to make that change happen is really amazing. So thank you. I mean, it's like it's I think everyone's job. 
and we got to be the change we want to see, right? Definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. And like facts are facts. This whole opera is an endangered species. So we gotta, <laughs> we're kind of like going to be left in charge of it. Right, <laughs> exactly. right. Might as right. well just get it together. <laughs> right, right. Well, there was, a, there was a meme this this week that came through about like realizing that, you know, three quarters of the repertoire, two thirds of the repertoire is deeply problematic oh, and we yeah. probably need to Good stop God. performing it. Yeah, just stop. <laughs> and it's just like, and it's just like begs the question, like, is... Opera. I think the definition that that in that question is is a little too narrow. But like, is opera a a art form worth you know saving? And it's just like, well, maybe tradition the the traditional idea of what opera is and preservationist opera needs to go. Yeah. Like, why are we trying? Why are we trying to like rewrite the script in deeply problematic works? Yeah. Yeah. I... In, instead of like writing operas that will resonate with a modern audience that yeah. tell stories people need to hear and aren't that problematic. Yeah. 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 I I mean, that's my jam is new stuff and saying things that need to be said, yeah. building bridges to well, yeah, audience. Yeah. I mean, so many artists love opera. I mean, we're, we're here with you. Yeah. We talk to artists that just love opera. And when I listen to some pieces, like I, I've processed them. I'm like, and I don't ignore those things. I interpret them as part of the work and I interpret them in a way that that goes, it doesn't like make me like believe that stuff or whatever. Like I, I, I see it as part of the art and I see it as like negative. Like when I see, for example, okay, La Boheme, so problematic. There's like, you can make that really bad too, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> With yeah. them. So I remember seeing Opera Philadelphia put it on, and I remember yeah. seeing them stage where Marcello hits Musetta. Musetta, and I was like, "Why? Are you kidding me?" No. I mean, people just like get over that stuff for whatever reason. They just love, you know, they just love the opera, and I do love the opera too. But I just could not. I couldn't believe that they yeah. did that. And I'm like, at the end, she were there together. So what are you saying now that that's okay? Like it's fine. Yeah, because you made that's it like... like worse than Carousel, basically. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> like in Carousel, he beats her, but then he dies at least. <laughs> like that's that's not funny. <laughs> but yeah, like but it's. I mean, like we yeah. can we can make it. We can honestly make a a statement. With yeah. Those but yeah. with choices that we make and he yeah. clearly made a statement that i was very upset about like honestly why aren't we telling the real story in bohème anyway which is that like the tragedy of that story is is not what everyone thinks it is right it's that rodolfo never says i love you to mimi because he's only in love with the idea of her and uh. the tragedy of that opera is that mimi actually loves him and he can't see past his own navel gazing to like see her for the human being that she is and then she dies yeah which honestly is probably better than her ending up with him and i <laughs> will say like i love that opera <laughs> musically like yeah me as a dream role yeah. but like there's a story there that's really important for us to be having as we're now mainstream talking about toxic masculinity and like what yeah. that means like there it is in a microcosm. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I was trying to say that yeah. I probably didn't say very well at all. But yes, exactly. You know, <laughs> something I, I love to do and don't get to do a ton, but like cherish it when I do is direct. And so I'm thinking of a production of Pagliacci I directed for Opera Ithaca. And I had her kill him at the end. And she also died. But like the whole story, I was telling her story and like that he was a violent, horrific jealous possessive man yeah and was beating her all the time and that like basically whoever whoever showed up she would like run away with and fall for because she needed to get the fuck out and didn't and was trapped you know so it was it was really fun to frame that problematic story in her own way and right have her yeah. kill him Right. Well, in a, and in a way that <laughs> and in a way that humanizes her as the as a victim. Yeah. Right. In a way that like yeah. in part, like even in our, you know, what we were just talking about, like, I think, you know, people who haven't ever, you know, have been fortunate enough to have not suffered any kind of abuse. Right. There's right. always this disconnect often. Yes. Um, that like, why didn't you come forward? Why didn't you say anything? This was yeah. so horrible. Like, why yeah. couldn't you do it? Right. Because as the victim, you you 
play the game of, well, if I had done this different or I had done that different, or, you know, you feel that sense of being trapped, Yeah, you know, and just to frame Pagliacci that way is so, so empowering, you know, it was fun and also gives the audience an opportunity to feel that. Yeah, totally. And people were upset because we had her with um, some bruises on her arms that the costume covered, but occasionally they come out and, you know, it's like, yeah, we know that story and we're telling that story and people were uncomfortable. They were like, oh, the bruises, it was really too much. It made me uncomfortable. Like, that's the point. Right, <laughs> that's right. That's the point. <laughs> right. He's beating right. her. You should be uncomfortable. Like... Right. Like in some level, like isn't the beautiful music meant to kind of help us put our guard down so that we can totally we can totally. explore uncomfortable things? Yeah. yeah. And come on, she's saying she wants to like be a bird and fly away. Like, come on like things are not good if you're talking yeah. like that like let's yeah. go there mm-hmm. I mean, totally. especially if we're going to do these top 20 operas over and over and over again it's like that's a cool thing i think about germany you know and obviously germany produces the most opera of any country on the planet right but mm-hmm. it's like you grow up by the time you're 25 you've probably seen like 15 different productions of carmen so you're open to seeing something new with it right mm-hmm. and it's like even if they're just if it's the most abstract thing, you're open to it. But in this country, it's like, you know, you may only see Carmen once. So it has to be done this way and whatever. And we can't piss off the donors who are paying for it. Right. Like there's that that weird thing with the nonprofit arts structure in this country versus, you know, a state funded arts system in other yeah. countries. That it can be the enemy of art for sure. Definitely. At the same time, I would still like much rather just see everyone do new stuff and you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. But yeah. But Absolutely. if we're going to keep doing these things, like say something new, please, dear God. Yes. Right. And let's talk about the why, like the problems. You know, the, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the fact that they're problematic is a like, again, I will say it over yeah. and over again. It's like, it's a conversation worth having yeah. Like to pull it out and say, we all love Traviata, but we have to talk about the problematic dynamic here. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Otherwise, like stay home and watch Moulin Rouge. It's much better. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So what? What's next for you? Yeah, I don't even know. I'm sitting in this house making weird shit. Uh, <laughs> That's great. We yeah. love to see it. Thanks. Thanks. I'm about to drop my third album in like four months, which is crazy. I'm a little. Amazing. Like, I'm gonna then calm down because I've been putting out too much. But yeah. Yeah. Take, but take a I, break. I. Yeah. I. I decided to make this. Uh, well, I think after working with so many living composers and like really going on that journey of like doing justice to everyone's piece and really working for that. I kind of had this longing to like be with myself a little bit artistically. So I put together a weird like Bjork album of like experimental pop, like on classical themes that's coming out. It's really weird. But amazing i kind of love wait. it yeah and i'm just doing this talk show for dallas every week which has been fun um i'm really stretching me as a video editor and i get to interview cool people and spread the message of arts and community and how important that is yeah this is what what watch what happened was what right? happened was yeah what yeah was, it's just yeah. people coming on and telling stories of something life-changing i love it yeah, a lot of people tell like their big break story, but some people it's like my house burned down and then I realized the meaning of life, you know? Well, so yeah, it's been really cool and kind of keeping me going. It's a lot of work also, but yes. it's cool. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for talking with us and sharing about all the incredible things you're doing. And Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. It's yeah. A lot of fun. It's yeah. been a joy. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we'll see you around. Totally. Yeah. That's it for today. This podcast was created for all the opera singers out there getting shit done. So keep on keeping on, people. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate and review it to help spread the word. You can also support the podcast through Patreon, where you can get early access to episodes, merchandise discounts, workshops and resources, and ad-free episodes. And you did hear that right, people. We now have merch. Find out more about all of this at mysocalledoperalife.com. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us for our weekly coffee chats every Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern on Instagram Live at MSCOL Podcast. 
This podcast is produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk and edited by Joshua Wise. Questions or comments? Email us at info at mysocalledoperalife.com. This season, we're sponsored by Conduit Studios. Marcel, how's the technology going for you? Uh, I don't know about you, Elise, but I am stressed out about tech on top of everything else in this fucking pandemic. Agreed. Conduit Studios is a production company that specializes in high-quality video and audio capture for creatives, run by musicians who understand your artistic needs. They offer high-quality, dynamic, multi-camera performance capture, which is perfect for concerts, auditions, live streams, and more. They are an affordable and accessible way to elevate your digital presence. You can enjoy a low-stress, relaxed environment to record in so you can focus on your art, and they'll take care of the rest. Conduit Studios is based in Southern California, but they service many clients nationwide. Visit conduitstudiosmedia.com for more information or to schedule a session.